0: So once again, we'll be reading from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is God's Word. Thank you, Betsy. Well, Doxology, it's good to be back with you. If you are new visiting us for the first time, a special welcome to you. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, as Luke mentioned at the beginning, wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, if you don't like Jesus, if you don't know who Jesus is, or if you've been in the church for a long time, we're really glad that you're with us. And, uh, Jesus is who we're all about here at this church. And we hope that wherever you're at, uh, you learn more about what it means to follow him and know him and why uh, giving your life to him is the best possible thing you can do in the world. And so uh, today we are starting a new sermon series in First Peter. So we are in First and Second Samuel for most of 2020. You'll see that First Peter has, it's a very different feel from Samuel because it's a letter rather than narrative. But even though it was written... 2,000 years ago uh, to people halfway across the globe. It'll be shocking, I think, to you guys how relevant it is, it is to us in this time and place. And so at this point in the sermon, when, especially when a new book is being introduced, this is usually the time where the preacher is supposed to give you five minutes on why this book matters, You know what you're going to see in it, why it's relevant to you, and so forth. But fortunately, Peter's introduction does that for us. So I'm just going to let Peter's intro, Do the Work. It's rich, even though it's only two verses, uh, but we'll ask just two basic questions of this intro, and that'll reveal to us a lot. Okay, so first we'll just simply ask, uh, who wrote this letter? Who wrote this letter? And then number two, who is the author writing to? Okay, so who wrote this letter? Number one. Number two, who is this author writing this to? And as we answer those, we'll, we'll, we'll learn a lot and be changed a lot, is my prayer. So, Verse number one, who wrote this letter? And you don't need a seminary degree to answer this question because he tells you in the first word of the letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is the apostle Peter. He was in Jesus's inner ring of three closest friends, and he calls himself an apostle. So apostle literally means sent one. And in that sense, you and me here, if you're a Christian, You are a, you could say, a small a apostle in the sense of you have been sent by Jesus as his witness into the world. But that's not what Paul means here when he says he's an apostle. When he says, I'm an apostle, he's referring to himself as a capital A apostle. So there are only a few capital A apostles, uh, 13 of them, including uh, Paul and Peter himself. And these were individuals who were personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to establish the beginnings of Christ's church as it moved forward. And so, as Peter writes here, he is not just a dude pontificating on life or giving you his two cents about what he thinks about spiritual things. As Peter writes here in this letter, he is writing with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself. Okay, And the era of the apostles ended uh, when the initial 13 died and passed away. And I I bring this up briefly because there are still people in the church, uh, often in positions of leadership, where they will call themselves apostles, like in the sense of that Peter did, where they might get up to a church and say, you know, I'm an apostle in the sense of I speak like, on par with Scripture. So my my words that I'm saying right now are the very words of God. And so if you walk into a church and somebody walks up front and says, I'm an apostle, and today we're going to blah, 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 you should respond with, and I'm leaving, okay? And (laughs) turn around and walk out the door, okay? Um, Because they're not, you know, who Peter was and who Paul was and who John was. And I'm bringing this up because as we read this letter To the degree you understand Peter's words are coming to you in the exact form and way that Jesus himself wants them to come to you, to that degree, you're going to allow yourself to be confronted and matured by these words, many of which are often very hard. But also to that degree, you're going to be able to be awed and comforted by the words in here, understanding they come to you with the same authority as Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's the first part. Peter's an apostle. But second... I love the fact that this is Peter. So this is the first time that we've read a letter by Peter. And so Peter, he's one of the most dynamic characters in the Bible. And I think if Peter were alive today, and especially if he were in this church, I think he would annoy a lot of us. Uh, you know, especially a lot of you guys in our church, you're very type A. You like things to be just so. You're very deliberate and measured. or you're, You often are in your decisions. And Peter was not that. Okay, He was often very impulsive. I was talking with uh, one of you a couple months ago about this scene in John 21 after Jesus resurrects from the dead. And the disciples are fishing on a boat and they see Jesus on the shore. So they start rowing to shore. Peter goes, oh my gosh, it's Jesus on the, on the shore. And he throws off his outer garment, he just jumps in the water. And you can imagine the other disciples were probably like, dude, we're 20 yards from the shore. Like, Can you just wait until we get there? But that's who Peter was. But because this is who Peter was, he's often labeled as... Kind of the dumb idiot, you know, that could never really quite get it right because Peter was often hot and cold. Like when you read about him in the Gospels, he'd have mountaintop moments of faithfulness and clarity, followed by impressive levels of pride and thick headedness. Okay, he often led with his heart rather than his head. He was very rash. He was rebuked by Jesus, he denied Jesus. But here's what I love about Peter. And here's what's going to come through as we read this letter. The thing about Peter is Peter got to a point in his life where he finally learned what it meant that he was chosen by Jesus and that he belonged to Jesus. And this gift to Peter was more precious than gold. It was oxygen to his soul. And this is what he could never get over. And so as as Peter writes to us, what he wants you to taste and see is what he did is that there's no purpose more thrilling than living for the name of Jesus. There's no better identity to have than as one who belongs to Jesus. There's no better person to have with you in your suffering or failure than Jesus. And Peter writes this not in a scholastic, academic way, but as somebody who really knows. Often the best teachers and mentors are people who have experienced hardship and come through it as better, more refined people, and that's who Peter is. And so, uh, just as he's writing these things, this comes from somebody who, who really experienced these, th- these things firsthand. And so, I'm excited to see how we hear from him, and hear from Christ through him. Okay, so that's first, who wrote it, just so you guys get a little bit more of a background on Peter. So next, who is Peter writing to? Okay, so let's keep going. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So here, Peter's describing a bunch of churches. So Peter isn't writing to a single church like Paul often did, like to the church at Corinth, for example. But Peter is writing to a bunch of Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And the cultural context of the believers at this time was they weren't experiencing statewide persecution yet. So this did happen later in the period of the early church. You know, Many Christians constantly imprisoned, beheaded, and so forth. Some of that was happening now. But more of what the believers were experiencing was actually eerily similar to what we're going through today. So they could persecution was threatening on the horizon, but what was really happening for these believers is people were beginning to strongly dislike what they believed. Okay, so they didn't like Christians believing that Jesus was the only way to God. Okay, they didn't like what Christians believed about sex when you follow Jesus. They didn't like what... Uh, Christians believed about caring for life from womb to tomb, and and so on and so forth. So these believers were starting to experience not small marginalization in their workplaces, in their neighborhoods, uh, often in their families as an individual, like a husband or a wife, you know, would come to saving faith in Jesus. And they were increasingly seen as bigoted and wrong and sometimes even dangerous to society. And so that's I mean, very similar to where we are today, right? And so this is the situation that Peter's writing into. And note what he calls them. Okay, so to those who are elect exiles. So this is the identity of the believers he's writing to. And this potent juxtaposition, elect exiles, is when you grasp this. So this is key to getting the whole rest of the letter and understanding your own own life. When you get this, that you are an elect exile if you are trusting in Christ, if you're a Christian, this will make you, at the same time, the most painfully sober individual and the most inexpressibly joyful person in the world. Simultaneously. Like, if if you get and embrace that you are an elect exile, painfully sober, but also inexpressibly joyful... And we'll see this all throughout the letter. And so how do we see that, though, even in this name? Okay, so first, exile. So that's what makes us extremely sober. When Peter calls the the individuals exiles, so when you think exile, you often think, okay, I'm running from home. A better way to, to translate this word exile would actually be resident alien. So if you're a resident alien, then what's your experience like in a nation? So on the one hand, you're not a tourist, Right? You're not just passing through, like when you're a tourist, you know, you go through quickly, you romanticize everything, you look at, oh, that's so exotic, and you know, I wish I lived here, but you don't actually put down roots, and then you, you move on before actually investing in the area. So, no, you're living there, you know the language, you work, probably, but at the same time, you're not just a resident, you're an alien. So your citizenship belongs to another country. And so even though you live there and you're invested in the area, there's a... There's a degree to which even though you have friends and you have a network, people still don't fully get you, and you don't fully get them, culturally speaking, right? And often they, they view you as a little strange, often. And so that's what Peter's getting at here when he says, you are not just elect, but you are elect exiles. In other words, you're living in a place that's not your home. You're living in a place that's not your home, because... When Jesus saves you, what happens is, is he takes you out of the kingdom of the world and your citizenship becomes the citizenship of Jesus Christ. And so your entire relationship to the world changes. And you're now living here as an exile, meaning you're not home. So what happens when, what's home? Okay, Home is where everything fits. When you're at home in the full sense of the word, right? the, the design of the house, the furniture fits you, the bed is just right. And most of all, the relationships are filled with light and warmth and love in a real home. But when you're not home, it's where things don't quite fit you. And so that's what Peter's getting at. When you understand that you're in exile, this world no longer fits you. And here's why I'm spending so much time, because when you get that you are in exile, it does a number of things. But one of the things it does for you is it makes you a far more steady person. And here's what I mean by that, because so much of suffering, so much of the pain of suffering comes from the pure shock of it, right? So if you, if you lose your job, or you have a hard time, you know, like having career success, quote-unquote, in the way you want, or if you find out that a loved one has a terminal illness, or if you're having a hard time, like, fulfilling the dreams that you have, right? A large part of the, the pain of that is either age, the the surprise that it's actually happening, or, if you're honest, often it's a sense of entitlement. You know, right? Like, if God really loved me, he would be doing this for me. But Peter's saying, no, you're not home. So, of course, everything isn't going to fit. Like, of course, you're going to suffer. Of course, you're going to experience relational difficulty. Of of course, you're going to experience marginalization from unbelievers. Of course, you're going to experience all kinds of trials and tribulations because this isn't your home. And so the sooner you understand that this isn't your home, it'll save you from a lot of angst and anger. Because so it's one thing to long for things, right, and cry out to God for things. But think about how much of your anxiety or your anger comes from subconscious givens that you have in your life. And when these givens are, aren't given to you or threatened, you get anxious or angry. So, for example, one of your givens might be, uh, yeah, I should, experiencing, I should be experiencing career success in a particular way. Another one of your givens that you just assume should happen, maybe you're married and you have kids and you assume, okay, my, my kids are going to grow up and be great and go, go to a good school and so forth. Or if you're single and you want to be married, it may be a given for you. Well, of course, I'm going to get married. What happens when these things don't happen in the timing or the manner that they should is we start to get bent out of shape. But Peter's saying, remember, you're not home. Okay, nothing will fully fit until you get to the new creation. So yes, pray for these things, long for these things. But if you fall into a pit of despair or anger that you can't get out of, it's because you've rooted your citizenship in this world and expecting it to be home for you rather than the citizenship of Jesus. And another brief application here is, so Peter's going to talk about a relationship with unbelievers. And so I just want to put this before before us now because we'll talk about it a couple of times. Just, um, I was having a great conversation with a couple of the guys earlier this week, but Think about the reason why you may not be more open or explicit about who Jesus is and what he means to you with people who don't know Jesus. And if the answer is, well, because I don't want them to think I'm pushy or they're going to misunderstand me, you know, or maybe they're going to think I'm bigoted, what you're doing right, is you're, you're not embracing the fact that you are an exile. And Jesus says himself in John 15 when he's talking to his disciples, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you. Okay, so if everybody likes you and loves you and thinks that everything you say makes sense, it could mean because you're displaying to them that you are very much of the world. But Jesus says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus is saying, when you live for me, of course you're going to be misunderstood. (laughs) Of course there's going to be things that just don't make sense to other people that you're around. Okay, so that's number one is we are exiles, and that's what should make us very sober about the hard realities of life. But second, we are elect exiles. And so, emphasizing the word elect, this is what should make us the most joyful people on the planet. And as I talk about this, guys, there's going to be a lot of things I don't say, and depending on your background in the church... Um, you might have a lot of questions and so what I plead with you to do is to not be silent but to please ask questions if you have them. But for today, I'm just going to present to you what Peter's saying. Okay, so Peter says, you are elect exiles of the dispersion and then in verse 2 he says, then he tells you how your election happens. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling of his blood. And so, what Peter is saying here is, okay, so here's how your election happens. Here's how you become a Christian, in other words. First, according to the foreknowledge of God. So foreknowledge here doesn't mean God knows that you are going to become a Christian. No, foreknowledge in the Bible is, it has connotations of being far more planned and intensely personal. So in Acts chapter 2 verse 23 Peter's giving a sermon at Pentecost and says Jesus was delivered up to the cross according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Meaning Jesus' crucifixion God didn't just know about it ahead of time but God made it happen. He planned for it to happen. So there's a planning with this foreknowledge but also it's intensely personal because oftentimes knowing in the Bible is not just understanding data but it's, it's intimacy. So Adam and Eve knew each other and they gave birth to Cain. Catch the drift? Okay, an intense intimacy and knowing. But here, when Peter says, according to the foreknowledge of God, he's using the same word that he uses later in chapter 1, verse 20, to describe God's foreknowing of Jesus before the foundation of the world. So God's foreknowing of you is as deep and personal and intimate that he has for his son Jesus I don't fully understand that, so I'm going to keep going, okay? Um, So next, he foreknows you, okay? And then in the sanctification of the Spirit. So sanctification often means, Pastor Nate preached on this a couple weeks ago, the process of becoming like Jesus. But here he's using it in the sense of sanctification, meaning set apart. Okay, so when the Holy Spirit awakens your heart to your need for Jesus, he, he sets you apart as somebody who belongs to God. It's the Holy Spirit who takes you out of the kingdom of the world, And then makes you a citizen of Christ's kingdom. Which then gives you a different relationship to the world. So it's the Holy Spirit who sets you apart. Or sanctifies you. And then for obedience to Jesus Christ. And for sprinkling with his blood. So for obedience to Jesus Christ. Here it's talking about your initial obedience to Christ's call of his gospel. Okay, To trust Jesus Christ with your life. And then you obey after that. But here he's specifically referring to when you first say, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. And then for sprinkling with his blood, he's referencing the costliness of Christ making you his own when he went to the cross and suffered and was judged in your place. And so here's the point of all this. And I hope hope it takes your breath away. What Peter is saying is before you were even created, God knew you and loved you with the same level of passion that he's loved his son, Jesus Christ. And then every single member of the Trinity, the eternal triune God, has been at work in saving you. In bringing the gospel to you. In opening your heart to want to believe. And so if you believe in Jesus... This is because the the whole triune God has been at work in your life from before you even existed. And now, do you need to make a choice to trust Christ? Absolutely. But to even be able to make that choice necessitates Christ's work in your heart before it can even happen. Because that's how much we want to be our own saviors and lords and masters of our own lives. And... So many people and so many genuine Christians, it's sad because so many individuals so do not want Peter to be saying here what he's so clearly saying and what Jesus says. We, I mean, we just read in John 15, I chose you. That they do so many gymnastics okay, to make it to where Peter's not saying that God actually chose you. But Peter writes this at the start of the letter, not to make you uneasy, but because it is the most comforting reality about God's character and about your life. Because if at the end of the day, your salvation and your life and your security is about your fidelity to Jesus and your love for Jesus and your word to Jesus and your evangelistic zeal for Jesus and how you obey Jesus when no one else is watching, are you kidding me? You and I have no hope. But if your salvation and life and security is about Christ's commitment to you, and it is, then that gives you rock-solid assurance. And going back to who's writing this letter, do you know who appreciated this assurance more than anybody in this room? Peter. Because Peter, more than anyone else in Jesus' inner ring of friends, except for Judas had the greatest betrayal and breach of faith all of Peter's life. Jesus loved Peter. Jesus was patient with Peter. Jesus, um, Elder Canon Andrew Workman preached on this a couple months ago. Jesus grabbed Peter's hand when he was drowning in the sea. And at the end of Jesus' life, when he needed somebody, anybody... To step in as the mob was shouting, crucify him. Somebody to step in and say, this isn't right. What was Peter doing? He wasn't even just not stepping in. He was off in a corner saying, I don't even know the guy. And calling down curses on Christ. Can can you imagine being Peter? Peter. We're told as as Jesus was dragged off to be crucified, Peter is on the ground weeping. In Christ's final moments, my final words were, I don't even know the guy. And then when Jesus finds him, after he had resurrected from the dead, he tells Peter, Peter, you silly man. This has never been about your love for me, but my love for you. And so because Peter knew that Jesus chose him, and it didn't matter how weak Peter's faith got, Peter belonged to Jesus from eternity past. This was more precious than jewels to him. And for many of you in this room... God's election of you and God's choosing of you may not be precious until, like Peter, you find yourself in a place where you are completely broken. And your faith is no more, is as thin as a thread and flickering like a candle that's about to go out. But it's in that moment the fact that Christ has chosen you and foreknown you from before the foundation of the world will shine in its fullest splendor. Because if your life and joy and eternity is not dependent on your word to Jesus, but on Christ's word to you, and it is, then even though your faith will diminish and flicker, it will never be extinguished. And even though you will fall, you will never fall away. Because God has foreknown you from before you were even born. And once you were born, he called you, not just with a general appeal, but a specific call that awakened your heart to the beauty of his name and, and gave you saving faith and belief and will persevere you All the way to the end. And so even though you are in exile and you are going to suffer and people are going to malign you for belonging to Jesus, you aren't going to be in exile as a lost orphan wondering if you're loved or wondering where your home is. But you will, as an exile, do so as a chosen child, knowing she's loved, knowing he's loved, and foreknown from before the foundation of the world. Praise Jesus for that. Let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, what you did in Peter's life to make him the man that he became. And then to pen this letter to us from his very heart. And so I pray that as you speak to us through Peter, uh, that we will listen to you. And that we will learn what it means to live both as an exile and embracing that identity Uh, but more than that, the fact that uh, you chose us. And I thank you so much for awakening our hearts to you, for anybody here who is not trusted in Christ yet. I pray that today will be the day uh, that they do do not neglect the salvation that you offer them. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.